Oh my god, it's back! Season 2, guys, kicking off Season 2 of the pod with another amazing guest for you. For those who have just come back to another school year, welcome back. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. And for those of you carrying on throughout this school year in terms 3 and 4, I hope you guys are surviving. And I hope this episode gives you a bit of a smile. So kicking off Season 2, we've got the very lovely Sarah Bell from her company, Autism Act, in the UK. Uh, In this one, we talk a lot about neurodivergency in classrooms, but there's also the general rant about funding in education, which is always fun. Anyway, hop over on the Instagram, go and follow Sarah Bell at autism underscore act, and also come and follow the pod and see what's happening next at cold coffee, no glue sticks pod. Uh, Let me know what you think and enjoy the episode. Is, is it your uh, is it your Easter break yet, or have you still got another week? Yes, yeah, it's Easter break at the moment, so um, this is the first week, first week off. Gorgeous. Um, trying to uh, balance doing a bit of work with going out and doing something a bit different. I went to the Titanic exhibition yesterday in London. Oh, lovely! Which was, um, which was really interesting. I um, yep. I've always been interested in it because it sank on my birthday. Um, not no. that I'm 110, but, um, you know, we share the same date. So I've always wow. found it a little bit interesting. There you go. Random fact. Yeah, no, that's cool. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> what else have you got planned for the holiday? What else have I got planned? Well, yeah. it's going to be my birthday next week. Um, yes. It's my dog's birthday tomorrow. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? There's so um, much celebrating. <laughs> lots of celebrating, <laughs> Yes. I'm just trying to catch up with a few people, really. Um, yeah. I get I get very, um, uh, you know, short of time in term time. And I yeah. feel like I'm ignoring everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just try to connect with uh, with people and uh, yeah. do a few bits and pieces and have a little bit of downtime as well. Downtime very is very important. important. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah absolutely yeah well I don't blame you look I hope it's a really beautiful break for you I hope you get all your connecting done and all your relaxing done and of course lots and lots of titanicing done Um, (laughs) and hopefully a few bubbles on your birthday as well yeah you know just cake will do really I'm not too fussed about the bubbles but the cake cake will do yeah (laughs) we love a cake um, if you don't mind, would you be able to give me a bit of an overview of kind of who you are, how you got to where you are now, what your teaching journey kind of looks like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I know it's a little bit of a cliche, but I did always want to be a teacher. <laughs> you know, one of my kind of earliest memories of of this is, you know, about age five or six, Um, you know with the teddy bears all lined up in the bedroom and uh, you know taking the register and they all had their own little workbooks and things like that Um, and I always enjoyed uh, working with children you know I did my uh, work experience at school um, in Mm. a primary school Um, I was a cub leader Um, you know I was always on that journey to be working with children definitely Um, yeah. So, yeah, I went to university. Um, I went to beautiful Devon 
Um, if any of your listeners, I know you're in Australia, but <clears throat> some people may have connections with Devon. Yeah. What a beautiful county it is. Um, Gorgeous. And I graduated in 1994. Oh. Um, yeah, I know. 28 <laughs> years in education come September. And it was a four-year degree back then. So it's just straight yeah. four years. Um, I, I, I trained for age seven to 12, but... That certainly doesn't define my teaching career. Um, I started yeah. teaching locally in September 94. Um, and, uh, you know, in that time, I was at that school for a very long time. Mm. Um, had a range of roles, including two maternity leaves. Um, but I taught every age group. Right. Um, which I think is actually quite unusual. I think people... So when I say every age group, I mean, I'm talking um, reception, early years, so age four up to year six, which, you know, Mm. is age 11. Um, And I think that that's kind of put me in good stead for what came next, um, if you like. Um, I loved being a teacher. I never thought I would do anything else other than (laughs) being a teacher. but life takes you on an interesting journey. So I became um, um, a special educational needs coordinator within a school. We call them a SENCO here. Um, so I did that the first time in 1999. I'd just come back from maternity leave, having yeah. had my son. And it was, oh, Sarah, we've got this little part-time send job are you interested um mm. I mean obviously it's not like that anymore it's a role that has grown and become really pivotal in schools now but right, I took that exactly. on I always I love all the kids <laughs> but I always connected with those children that needed that little bit extra right um, and that's kind of defined my like the rest of my career in a way so yeah because you went was, on to do something pretty amazing <laughs> didn't you Well, I did. In 2014, I'd kind of done my 20 years in education as a teacher in Senko, and I joined um, the local authority as an autism specialist teacher. Um, I kind of did it not on a whim. That's the Mm. wrong way to put it. I did it because there were changes coming up in the school I was with. Um, There was a new head, and I really liked the previous head. He'd also been a Senko. And he really understood what I was trying to do. Um, And I thought, if he's going, maybe it's time for change. So I went for this job and I got it. And I thought, I'm not really sure it's me. Within two weeks, I was hooked. I was like, amazing. The kids are amazing. Um, I was going out into different schools, observing children giving schools feedback on things they could put in place for provision, meeting Mm. parents, going to meetings, doing training. And I did that until a couple of years ago um, when due to a redesign in the local authority, um, (laughs) I was made redundant. And I thought to myself, do you know what? What do I do now? I've got a master's degree in autism. I've got this what I'm going to call my professional mixing bowl, okay? Love that. I've taught every age group in primary. I've been a Senko like four times along my journey. 
Yeah, I've been an inclusion leader. I've been an autism specialist teacher. I'm a parent. You know, my kids are grown up, but I'm a parent. I'm thinking, you know, what do I do? So my professional mixing bowl was put together and I'm now an independent autism specialist teacher, consultant and trainer. Um, and I go out into schools like I did for the local authority. <laughs> Uh, but I go out into schools and um, observe children, do training, run parent courses, uh, yeah. run training online, working with teenagers for the first time. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of been running two years now, over two years. Yeah. Even during oh. what I call a COVID interrupticus. COVID interrupticus, yes. Didn't stop um, my company, which is called Autism Act. Um, act for advice consultancy and training um and yeah so kind of that's me from the five-year-old wanting to be a teacher all the way up to nearly 53 and now running my own business which I never ever imagined I would do so there's always something (laughs) there's always something in education sometimes you just have to think outside the box a little bit which I think we find hard sometimes nowadays. I think um, so. And coming from such a such a sector, such an industry that has such flexible individuals, like we did completely change the way we taught around COVID interrupticus, you know, pivoting ooh. online completely. We're able to um, respond flexibly to 30 different children's needs. We're able to change our plans at the drop of a hat. But when it comes to our own professional journey, our own career, sometimes it is quite hard to see yourself other than, mm. for want of a better phrase, just a teacher. And that's what happened yes. to me. So can mm. you talk me through your, um, I guess, the change in mindset? Like what happened inside your head when you thought, no, fuck it, I'm going to go and start my own thing? <laughs> um, <laughs> lack, of, well, lack of choice I think I mean right. I should say that I was absolutely devastated that I lost my job and I don't care how many millions of people know that because mm. um, I think we we put ourselves on this kind of we can cope with everything kind of track when we're a teacher yeah you know where that where this you know pillars of the community and you know we can cope with everything and actually, that wasn't the case. When I was made redundant, I was absolutely devastated. I felt like I'd let everybody down, including all of the children and the parents in the schools that you yeah. know I'd been supporting. And it happened just before the six weeks summer holiday that we have here. Um, and my oh. husband and myself went away on holiday um, abroad at that time, you know, when you could. Um, when you and, could. And, um, and, you know I wouldn't say it dominated our holiday but we talked and talked and talked it through Mm. um I either would go back into a school um but I knew I was too expensive (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean I was too expensive unless I wanted to be a head or a deputy or whether I actually want to do that journey I'd I'd kind of already opted out of that Mm. so I think no do you know what um all these plans started bubbling I'm quite a creative person and within a few weeks of the summer holidays I had a name for my business I had an idea of a logo I knew what I wanted to do I knew that the schools that I'd been supporting would still need support because it wasn't going to be available and I Mm. thought you know 
I've never been a bold person in the way I'm, I'm kind of bold and confident in what I do. But outside of that box, um, I like things to run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, teachers, we like it to run as we think it should run. <laughs> um, and this was definitely taking me on that scenic route. And I thought, yeah. well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, you know, I've got redundancy money coming. If it doesn't work, then I will, yeah. um, you know. But it has been, uh, I mean, it's been a yeah it's been amazing I've almost got mm. I've got too much work now that I want you know I really need to have um somebody else on board um, yeah <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah I think I I still wanted to serve the community that I'd been serving there's not enough um knowledge and training around mm. autism um yeah even though it's obviously becoming a lot more prominent and you know it's in the news a lot more people yeah awareness of what autism is um um and, and just neurodiversity in general um yeah you know, not, not just autism but adhd and uh you know tourette's dyslexia dyspraxia you know yeah. the myths that are there need dispelling and i'm quite yeah. happy to do that um and uh, yeah so it was a hard decision but it was the right decision yeah, it sounds like it. And I mean, I'm going to add my congratulations to, I'm sure, lots of people that have already offered them. But it's absolutely amazing to hear your journey and to know that there is somebody out there providing that um, counsel and training to teachers in an area that we really don't actually get much support in. I mean, I did my teacher training back in the UK uh, several years ago. Um and there certainly wasn't enough um, mm, and uh, enough focus on SEN. Mm, no, mm, no. Why mm, do you think mm. that is? Are we just are we trying to ignore this? Are we trying to force everyone <laughs> into that kind of mainstream education? Well, I, th- I think we like to to you know whatever we try to say about legislation around autism neurodiversity. I think there's still a lot of trying to fit people into boxes that they don't fit in. Yeah, um, I think there. You know, I mean, I'm I'm going to get I'm going to sound intelligent now, which is, you know, in 1978 we had a really um, pivotal report um, in this country called the Warnock Report. Um, so there's 1978 um, mm-hmm. reported that teachers um, do feel unprepared for um, uh, providing for children with special educational needs in their classroom. Yeah. Um, I did my master's dissertation <laughs> and, and used some of this detail. Um, yeah. And I just think, what's changed? <laughs> what has changed? Exactly. I, you know, I go into classes and I see people that are really trying hard, mm. but don't always know what they're doing. Well, how can they if no one trains them? Um yeah. You know, what train the only training opportunities I had, I think, when, you know, when I was uh, when I was teaching were things that I looked up myself. Yeah. Or when I, you know, to be a special educational needs um, coordinator in this country, you have to do the um, the Senko award, which is an accredited mm. course. I did that because um, <clears throat> I had to to be a Senko. Yeah. Um, and then my autism training came on the job and I did a master's degree. Um, wow. So so really, you know, is there, there's not enough funding, there's no. not enough understanding. Um, everybody's so busy trying to yeah. target, fill in the data. Yeah. 
But still, we're asking teachers to provide individual learning plans, individual learning journeys for every single child and wondering why they're leaving the profession in droves, right? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, it's and and where's the support? You know, so once you've had a piece of training and this is what I try to do at Autism Act, if you've had a piece of training or I've been out to your school then I'm going to provide something that back that keeps backing up you so you feel supported so you know that every term I'm available for your school obviously school's mm. got to buy into the package but I'm available for your school for you know they can be training via zoom that's one good thing that's come out of covid I think is yeah. online training um you know, I'm available for your school, I'm available for you personally, or a small group of, uh, you know, learning support, for example, <clears throat> to keep building on that knowledge. And I think that's something that we, that's missing. That's something that we, you definitely. know, definitely do. Mm. Definitely. And, yeah, you know, can... and, and when it comes to SEN, we're, we're asking for, you know, the most um, kind of, uh, the skills outside of your comfort zone skill set, you know, the, mm. the probably the most advanced skills for the least amount of children. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the small percentage of their children that take up a lot of their time. Yeah. Not for any fault of their own. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. And that obviously find- goes back. Yeah, Yeah. that goes back to that lovely phrase that's been bouncing around education for decades, the whole every child matters thing. Well, if every child matters, that also includes that small percentage. Therefore, there should be just as much funding for that sector as there is for mainstream or children that fit into mainstream. um, And if every child matters, then how can we skill up teachers to ensure that they feel confident and they have the knowledge and feel empowered to reach every child so they matter. Oh, I knew I, I was going to enjoy you, talking to you, Sarah. If you get it right for <laughs> SEN children, you've got it right for everybody. Yeah, 100%. You know? 100%. Yeah, yeah. What was the um, decision to go to towards autism out of all of the neurodivergencies you could have chosen, all of those specialities? Why autism? Well, when I, so I, it was a job in the local authority um, mm. and I had, uh, so how it used to, how it used to run was um, every school, every primary school would have a specialist teacher attached to them. That's what we had in Essex. Yeah. So there were specialist teachers for learning, learning uh, disabilities, um, hearing impaired, visually impaired social, emotional, mental health needs, um, autism, speech and language. Um, And really, it was the fact it was on the specialist teacher team rather than Mm. autism. So when I earlier I said I I kind of wasn't sure if it was me, Mm. um, but the specialist teacher that used to come in for me, so I'll give a little shout out to Ros Huntley, although she's retired now. um, But uh, Ros was my specialist teacher um, she was great, used to love her coming in. And um, she was the one that said, Sarah, there's a job going on the team. Do you think you'd be interested? I sort of thought, mm, but, you know, again, it was a bold decision, maybe without me even realising it was a bold mm. decision. I just loved 
the idea of working within special educational needs. Yeah. It wasn't really autism at that point. But yeah. now I say within a couple of weeks, I was completely hooked into <laughs> fascinating going in and seeing children. And I was fascinated. One of the first children I saw took an instant like to me. And I was like, why? Why is he taking an instant like to me? And it was because <clears throat> my coat was green and um, his favourite food was green vegetables. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, so this isn't about me at all then. <laughs> no, no, it's nothing personal. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, when you think, wow, this is so interesting, maybe I needed something different to challenge my own thinking. And, 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 and autism yeah. does that. It really challenges our thinking. What we think we know is can be can be irrelevant. Yes. Um, uh, okay. Well, let's dispel some of the myths then. What what kind of myths do you come across um, the most in your job oh, around autism? Well, I just can I talk about a couple of pet hates? Is that okay? Oh, please, absolutely. Um, you know, we're all a little bit autistic. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, you know, we're not. We're either autistic or we're not autistic. We've either met the criteria or we haven't met the criteria. Mm. We're not all a little bit autistic. That's that's myth number one. Um, myth number two, um, I've got – actually, somebody said to me even the other day that um, maybe this child doesn't need quite so much support because they're only mildly autistic. You know, what is mildly autistic? Mm. Um, so outwardly, that child may, oh, it's a young woman, actually, a, a teenage girl, um, may not be giving, you know, the signals that she's not coping. But believe you me, she's masking. You may have heard of that. Yes. Asking that um, that, uh, you know, her challenges in order to fit in and look, look as if she fits in. So mm. actually, she's working really hard. She's not mildly autistic. She's just very good at, um, at covering covering that up. So yeah. socially, emotionally, um, you know, that young woman may have some mental health um, challenges be because of the masking that she's trying to do. So nobody is mildly autistic. You know, everyone's on a spectrum. Everyone's individual. Everyone is a person in their own right, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, and we cannot base how autistic we think they are based on what we see. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and, and and things like, you know, uh, young people aren't sociable. But, you know, that's no. They are sociable. How they go about that is different. Yeah. And they may need some support to help them with that challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, research shows that, you know, autistic adults when they were children, you know, did want to have friends, didn't yeah. know how to go about it. You know, autistic people aren't empathetic. That's complete, completely a myth as well. It's just you, you can say bullshit if you need to, Sarah. I've probably got a few swear words I'd like to say, but Fantastic. You know, I'm remaining professional. I have my, <laughs> business, I have my business, you know. Uh, I respect that. I respect um, that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, just, you know, I want, I try to, uh, I try to help people 
understand what autism is in kind of easy, easy chunks, if you like. Yeah. Um, and and how it may be for that individual child or person that they're teaching. Yeah. Um, and high and low functioning. Please don't mm-hmm. use those phrases. You know, mm. what do we mean by high functioning? Again, going back to the teenage girl I was talking about, you know. Yeah, so high and low functioning, what does that mean? It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's rubbish. Um, somebody who may appear as high mm. functioning, in other words, they can cope in school, may be giving every single ounce of effort to be able to cope mm. with that, go home, completely melt down. Um, and I think we, you know, we have to reframe our thinking about autism in order to help our young people succeed. Yeah, absolutely. So can you give us a few tips, a few phrases? How should we be approaching the language of autism? Like what is what are the right phrases to use? How should we be talking to the individual versus to the people that care for them about how we can help um well I think that we need to think about the person as an individual they're a person um what are their strengths what are their challenges I use phrases like they someone is autistic so they're not a person with autism sounds like it's a kind of an add-on um, yeah. they are an autistic person that is that that you know that's that's their personal makeup yeah um so I use those phrases say don't use the high and low functioning phrases mm. ask the person you know ask you know if it's a teenager and we're doing lots of work with teenagers at the moment no find out from them what it is that they want to know what it is that they would like to be supported with. Mm. If it's a younger child, you know, take the time to get to know what their interests are. It's Mm. amazing what connections you can make um, with an autistic young person around their own interests. Mm. And I call that meeting them where they are. So we're not forcing them to meet us on our agenda yeah we are meeting them on their agenda first of all I mean I've had to find out information about all sorts of topics that lifts for example I had a child who um uh, knew the types of lift in every single city you know in the world if you like wow what make it was what type of doors it had how many floors it had etc yeah I before I met that child I actually spent a little bit of time <laughs> looking up lifts. Yeah. <laughs> so I could converse with that child. Yep. Building trust, making a relationship. How do we get young people to, to want to do things with us if we don't connect with them on their terms, first of all? You know, yeah. I've had to find out about Marvel characters, um, you know, <laughs> Paw Patrol, Thomas the Tank Engine, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter matter what it is, you know. It doesn't take that long, actually. 
actually, from what you were saying there, where you've had to go and find out about different topics, that's no different to, say, early years teachers following up on their children's interests to um, to get that kind of further correct, uh, further connection to curriculum, yeah, just, to their personal experiences. Yeah, I think it's um, it's child led, child focused, you know, good mm. practice. Which yeah. I think, unfortunately, as we go higher up, you know, I, I can say this because I've taught every age group. I think we lose that. Yeah. As we move higher up the school, by the time we come to secondary, it's all mm. we've got to fit definitely in in lots of lesson boxes. Yeah. Um, which our children yeah. don't necessarily do unless it puts great stress on them. Um. But it can be very difficult in the constraints that we have within our education system that we we can make that room. But I've meet I'm meeting at the moment some great um, teenagers, yeah, undiagnosed. Uh, some of them who've struggled through school um, yeah. and got to the stage now where. They are emotionally burnt out. Mm. Um, they are exhausted at the point of breakdown um, because they've tried so hard um, and their needs have not been met. I mean, but I'm also under no illusion that it's difficult when you're a mainstream teacher, which is why you need people like me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is amazing what you do. And it's always been notoriously difficult in English schools, in UK schools to get a child that you believe has those additional needs oh, seen by the local government to be I diagnosed. Know. You know, part of the challenge is to get the parents on board even. Um, well, have you ever had to deal with, deal with yeah. that side of stuff, deal with the families? Yes, I mean, I, I'm actually run, um, I've written and run my own parent course, um, wow. which is called Destination Autism Guiding Your Journey. Um, there's a really amazing piece of writing, can't remember who it's by, but it's called Welcome to Holland. And it talks about how this kind of the journey of a SEN parent, really, how mm. you, you kind of you're planning to go to Italy um, you know, you're kind of charmed by the language and, you know, how romantic it looks and, mm. you know, beautiful buildings and what have you. And and just as you, you're you about to land, the pilot says, welcome to Holland. And you think, hang on a minute, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to go to Holland. Um, I don't know anything about Holland. It, it, it doesn't look the same as Italy. Um, so it's a really powerful piece of writing, actually. It's called Welcome to Holland for anybody that wants to look that up. Um, yeah. So that's why I've called my course Destination Autism. I run a five-week course. At the moment, it's only through um, a commissioned post. Mm. Um, I'm about to run it for the fourth time in the summer holidays. Wow. I have small groups, about eight to ten parents of local schools. Um, mm. And we look at autism um, and we look at what autism is like, how that is for their child and how to support their child at home. Some people are well on the journey and some people are at the beginning of the journey. But mm. the power in the course is not me. The power in the course is parents learning together and mm. supporting each other. Um, so I'm really passionate about my course. 
Mm. Um, and yeah, looking for funding at the moment to get that um, to get that out into another commissioned post that I have that includes a school where your mum works. Oh yes, now you've got a connection <laughs> to my mum, haven't you? Let's oh, talk about that. I mean, where did these mum here? <laughs> <laughs> where did you guys meet? How did you get to know each other? Um, well, I was actually listening to your mum's podcast the other day. Do a little bit of research before I come on here, you see. Um, and um, the school that she really liked where she was nursery um, and um, I was the Senko there. So we worked together. And she talks about you nonstop. Oh, you must speak to Sarah. Oh, she's fantastic. There's nothing she doesn't know about this. <laughs> oh, I'll take so her out Yes, I'll later. absolutely have Sarah on, of course. Hilarious. Um, so oh over your 28 years in education, over your seven years as an autism specialist, eight years as an autism specialist. Yeah, coming up eight years. Coming up eight years. What have you seen changing the most within education? What are some of the things that have surprised you, disappointed you, uh, challenged you in the way that education, uh, the uh, education system in the UK is run? I mean, I think it's the workload. Mm. I, I think it's the workload. Yeah. It, the amount that we put on um, on teachers, actually, mm. to kind of, you know, it's like we, like we can solve everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we can't. Um, no. You know, we're just people. We're just people in yeah. a job doing the best that we can do. I mean, when I first started teaching, that we had um, that year, or was it the year before? I can't quite remember. We had the first kind of nationalised tests for year six yeah. um, in, in this country. Um, so, yeah. like, these standardised tests for, for 10 to 11-year-olds, that, that came in. That, that was major. You know, because I was working at that point, when I was a young, young teacher, and I was working at that point with people who'd already done 25, 20, 25 years in education who'd, who really struggled, mm. you know, really struggled with that coming in. I mean, and now I feel like all we do is test. All we do is test children all the time. Yeah. And and I was when I was listening to your mum's uh, podcast, she said, you know, one of those things that you feel guilty about or feel illegal in education is just being with the children that there's not enough time to just be you know we always feel like we've got to be assessing we've got to be marking we've got to be data tracking we've got to be doing this that and the other actually there's never any time to just be Mm. be with the kids that that I think is um you know one of the big changes I mean why did I get out of um kind of class teaching I, I suppose some of that was kind of personal reasons around people I was working with but but some of that was like, you know, can I keep doing this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like 20 years in the classroom, can I can I keep doing this? Um, the oh. energy that it takes, and I think the more that is expected of you, you know, the meetings where you, you know, you spend an hour and a half deciding what colour you're gonna your new marking system is gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? You know, let's just yep. celebrate Who that cares? the marked. Yes, green for growth and pink. Oh my god! You, you know, or you've got to make you know two stars and a wish on every child's piece of work. Yeah, you know, no, no wonder I've got you know like arthritis coming in in my yeah. hand. You know. 
from all that writing. I, I just think that for me, the fun went out of it. You know, mm. that that I've always enjoyed being a bit silly. <laughs> start to feel that that is drained out of you. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that there's people, you know, young people coming into into the profession with lots of energy you know maybe they feel that they can still have those silly moments I hope so because yeah our kids kids need that (laughs) yeah yeah you know you're absolutely right but there's too many changes Katie I mean I've already been 37 minutes I could be an hour and 37 minutes you could and I would happily talk to you the whole way through (laughs) (laughs) no I love this I love this um so we know, obviously, what my mum felt was illegal is just being with the children. What do you think feels illegal as a Senko or as going in as a consultant? Well, I mean, I, I, I'll do one from my, my teaching background because I think yeah. lots of people do this. And, and it's the amount of your own money that you spend resourcing your classroom. Oh, my God. I wondered how long it would take before this came up. Yes. Preach. Okay, so you know, yeah. you know, you're called cold coffee, no glue sticks. So what do we yeah. do when we've got no glue sticks? We go out and spend our own money and buy them. That's you know, I'd, I'd be on holiday and my husband'd be like, "What are you buying?" I'm like, oh, "This would be good for school." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if we all added up <laughs> how much of our own money we'd spend, you know, we'd be able to source. You know, we'd be able to fund education globally. Yes. <laughs> for goodness knows how many years you know because you don't want the hassle of putting in a um putting in an order for someone to say well you only had whiteboard pens like six weeks ago well I'm sorry my kids are using them you know you don't just sit there and look at them so Mm. yeah that is that should be illegal (laughs) it should be illegal it um, should be illegal. Yeah. And I'm yeah, laughing, I mean, but it's not funny at all. The amount no, of I, my wages that went in bloody office works or. I know. Um, I know. Yeah. yeah. All of I mean, those. now, obviously, I resource my own stuff. Um, yeah. Something <laughs> <but>, uh, <laughs> yeah. that should be illegal as well, um, thinking about where, you know, what I'm, what I do now is, mm. um, you know, so I'm going to say this. I'm sorry for anybody that is offended, but support staff who are left to on the hop plan for young people with special needs. Mm. That, you know, that can happen a lot. You know, this person may know the child best. Um, but that actually is wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The teacher, you know, we have teacher standards in this country. One of the teacher standards is that all teachers are teachers of SEN. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, I think I see lots of support staff. I'm not talking just now. I'm talking like through the last eight years of, of you know, of what I've been doing within autism is seeing LSAs who are amazing, so learning support assistants who are amazing, mm. go above and beyond a lot of them and do a really fantastic job. Yeah. But where is the planning for this person? Yeah. Where is the guidance for that person? Mm. Um, they're not paid. Sorry, it's money again, isn't it? Terrible. It is. No, but, you know, no, they it's are true. not paid to have that level of responsibility. Yeah. Um, so that to me feels illegal. Um, Great point. And, 
and working on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> you should be illegal. Yes. You know, you try really to have a nice is. weekend, which, you know, is Saturday, and then Sunday you think, oh, my God, I'm not prepared for tomorrow. Fortunately, <laughs> that doesn't happen to me now. But, you know, it Good. used to dominate my Sunday when I was teaching. So yeah. all of those things should be legal. And people who send emails at 5.57 in the morning. Oh, no, God, they can bother right off. Even no. Up? No. Why are they even up? <laughs> What are you doing awake at that time? I'm not going to read it till half eight, so don't (laughs) think. There you go. Absolutely. No, I love that. Right. I'm aware of time. I'm going to jump straight into the the rest of these questions. We're going to do a quick fire round, Sarah. Are you ready? Yes, I can do that. Okay. All right. What is your gold star of the week? I know you're on holidays. We can go back. We can uh, go yeah, into the no, classroom. No, I'm going to um, I'm going to tell you about a recent event. So, young man that I started working with, teenager, started working with him um, nearly a year ago. Um, he has diagnosis of ADHD. When I met him, he didn't really understand what that was. Mm. So, we've done lots of self awareness work. Um, he's been working with other colleagues of mine, commissioned colleagues of mine. Um, and last week I was shown his GCSE spoken English piece of work, wow. which is all about, can I tell you about ADHD? Because this <gasps> is a passion of mine, how um, young children with ADHD are usually labelled naughty, but this isn't the case. I have to say I had a tear when I read it because I oh. think in a year for um, 50, you know, a six foot two, 15 year old, to have that turnaround in understanding his own needs and now wanting to tell other people about yeah. it in his GCSE spoken English exam, I was just blown away. Um, wow. So that's my gold star of the week. Gorgeous. Love it. All right. Can you big up a bestie, someone that you've really felt supported by? It might be Ros, it might be going back to your mentor, it might be somebody else who inspires you. Well, I met my best friend at university. So hi to Jo, Jo Stephen. She's still my bestie. Um, <laughs> and um, so I've got to say hi to her, although we never actually yes. worked together. I've worked with some amazing people. You know, I'm going to because I've had a long career. So yeah. people that are advisors, they're fun to be with. They're kind of like get that instant connection. So yeah. Gareth Sweeney was like my little brother at school. He was so annoying, but we did work very well <laughs> together. Um, and you worked with your mum at one point as well. Um, oh. And But my bestie, bestie, best, best, bestie has to be the lovely Lee, who was not a teacher. She was my, um, I interviewed her actually when I was a Senko to become her first job as a learning assistant. Um, she then followed me to another school. She was my assistant Senko. She is amazing. I used to look at her and say, Lee, can you just? And she'd go, I've already done it, Sarah. Oh, oh my goodness me. Um, wow. If I could get her to come and work for Autism Act, she's number one on the list, but I can't get her to make that jump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. Yes. Go on, Lee. Make the jump. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Excellent. Uh, What do you wish you had more or less of in your current role? 
uh, well, I, th- I think more opportunities to train people. I mean, mm. you, you know, when I was at university, I remember one one thing that a tutor said to me, which has stuck with me for like 30 odd years. And that is the day you think you know it all is the day you should get out. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I lo- every time I meet a new young person, I learn something new about them, mm. about autism, about schools. Um, so I think training, I want to be able to train as many people as I can, support as many yeah. people as I can. Um, you know, I just think meaningful training, not the, you know, yeah, what what colour marking pens are we going to use? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> that's really it. Training, training, training. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. Um, what's been your proudest moment in your teaching career? Uh, well, it definitely has to be gaining my master's education in autism mm. at the age of 49. Mm. Uh, it's never too late, guys, to have Never too goal. late. It's never too late <laughs> to learn something new. Um, and I, I think, you know, I've taken everything that I've that I've learned from being an NQT, newly qualified yeah. teacher back in 94, to getting my master's degree, to work, doing what I do now, my professional mixing bowl. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm very proud of what I do. Uh, my dad, bless bless my dad, I lost my dad in July last year. Um, but my dad oh. was my biggest supporter. Um, and uh, the fact that I know he was so proud of, of what I'm doing now. Um, yeah, proud proud moments we should all be proud in teaching we do an amazing job Um, we don't give ourselves enough credit no you're absolutely right and just for those teachers that are really wanting to get out of the classroom maybe follow a passion or maybe it's they just feel like they need something different but are scared to take that leap do you have any advice or any um kind words I suppose to share with them yeah I mean I think you know you've got to think about the reasons of what why you want to move on you've got to be really self-motivated and that can be very hard you know it can be really hard to be self-motivated mm. and you've also got to realize that this is going to dominate your life if you if you decide to take a different step go self-employed for example like me this is going to dominate your life um because it has to um, especially when you're, you know, with your your early business, I would say think really hard about what your reasons are for it. Um, I would also say get yourself prepared. Mm-hmm. So someone that can do your website, someone that can be a business mentor, you can talk to. Get yourself some supervision I mean I I, I have a, a counselling session uh, once a month so hello to Alison from Unique Minds Alison Bean she's amazing because um, that's really important if you move to work solo it's just you yeah um, you've come from a team where I know we're all individuals but you've got that backup. Um, you've got those people to go to this can feel very lonely um, and I think you have to forge your own support so a bit of advice for me that from Alison was um, who are your supporters and who's on your team because Mm. they're very different 
you know, if you're going to, if you're in a five-a-side football match and you were going to play your supporters, you might not do very well. But if you're going to play your team, then you may do well. So who is in your team? And it might not be the immediate people that you think. So my oh. husband, who it's, you know, 27th wedding anniversary in two weeks' time, um, he's definitely a supporter. He's not on my team because he do not really know what I do. <laughs> he does. But, um, you know, but, but he's my supporter and he's an amazing supporter, but he's not on my team because my team. No, has he can stay on the bench. Yeah. So, yeah, he can cheer <laughs> from the bench and come out with the oranges halfway through. Um, lovely. Who's lovely. on your team? Once you sort that out, I think, yeah, you know, and if it goes wrong, we live in a different world now. You know, mm. there's opportunities. You can make your own opportunities. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Wise words indeed there. It. Thank you. Um, is, there a, is there a theme or topic that you most enjoy teaching to children? Oh, I mean, I always loved anything history related. That, that was mm. always my favourite. Um, I love doing uh, the Egyptians and, and World War II. Um, I think that it gave me the opportunity to be very creative. Now, I, I remember when we were doing um, we were doing the Romans and um, yeah. I decided to, you know, put blue chalk up my arms and on my face to pretend that I was Boudicca and we were going with the Celts and we were going on a march, uh, me and my class, you know. They probably must have thought I was crazy but you know and and also you know all the different you know you can make those of models and we'd have like a museum for parents at the end of the topic where an exhibition if you like where they yeah. could come in and see our work so I always enjoyed the t- those topics and I always enjoyed doing the year six um summer production so when yeah. I was teaching in year five and six I you know I I was the lead teacher producing uh, Oliver as a production and the lion king again i could be really creative and uh yeah, yeah i tend to remember children now by which production they were in when i think back <laughs> some of my career isn't that terrible but, oh yeah, no, i love that that's what that's what i enjoyed you know gorgeous creative bit of singing bit of dancing can't can't yeah. do either but it doesn't stop me <laughs> no and why should it why should it absolutely <laughs> All right, I've got a bit of a curveball for you here before we do the final question. Right. Um, what are the best and worst things about working in SEN? Um, oh, I mean, the best things are are those breakthroughs that you have with people mm. um, and, and the breakthroughs that you see with children. That the, You know, we cannot use the same markers for progress um so that's kind of like a worse thing as well um and, yeah. and and seeing small steps of progress you know are really yeah. to be celebrated that that I love um I love taking people on a journey of understanding um that for me now yeah I love the kids but supporting those adults that are in a supporting role um, yeah. is really what I focus on now uh, other than my kind of face-to-face teenagers work um, and those breakthroughs that you have with people or somebody tries something um, people are always skeptical when you say get a bucket and you know do this and uh, you know <laughs> do some crazy stuff people are like really <laughs> um, um, but when you see that working um, yeah 
and those breakthrough moments, even if that child uh, gives just a glimmer, a fleeting look at what you're doing, yeah. you've made a connection. Um, and that for me, that for me, I love. I, I think kind of the, the worst thing is, um, you know, how underfunded it is, how difficult it can be to get an education, health and care plan, which mm. is, um, you know, the highest level of support in this country. The fight that people have to go through, yeah. um, parents and schools, and, and and that makes me really sad. Um mm. I'd love to say that it makes me really angry, but I, I kind of, it, 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 well, it does make me angry, but it makes me sad more than anything. Yeah. Schools and parents wouldn't be asking if there wasn't a need. That's what I always used to say when I was Senko and I was putting in paperwork to get other support. I'd be thinking, I yeah. wouldn't be putting this forward if there wasn't a need for it. I, I'm not just going to do it for the fun of it. This child needs no. more support. You know, yeah. that you know and and when it kind of comes bouncing back and but you know you've got a a a, a five-year-old who's who's non-verbal um and um you know is on their own agenda and and schools are trying to keep that child safe um mm. as well as make connections and trust and build relationships and everything i'm thinking yeah just give them the support that they need you know well exactly um, and it's funny that you say about um the connection between education and health. I was having a, a really great conversation exactly about this with one of my friends who's a principal over here, Matt Smith, about the disconnection there between personal health and education and why are those two things so separate. So his school employs a pediatrician that comes to school every other week or so that families can go and see. Wow. Um, they're in quite a disadvantaged wow. area. So it it really <laughs> suits them to have that. Um, service it's amazing right but why why is mm. it that those things are too separate when they're so dependent on each other almost yeah definitely and I, I think that there's you know there's not enough engagement between mm. the services for an education health and care plan there are three things there education health care um, it's not mm. just about education. We need to have those other services. Um, and, no. and I think that, you know, those proper services that track children from nursery onwards, um, you know, they've gone. Yeah. They've gone where I'm in the in the county that I'm working in, you know, within mm. schools. You know, schools are now having, you know, children come in reception, turn up for reception, um, at the beginning of the academic year, not know anything about them. And this child really has, you know, a lot of needs. Yeah. Um, and we're not just talking about COVID interrupticus needs. We're talking about organic, inherent. This child is, you know, has a neurodiversity, special educational need that mm. needs supporting, um, regardless yeah. of, you know, the COVID situation we've had. And, and you know, you know, I know one of your questions Absolutely. is if you charge for depression, which I think we're kind of already covering, is, you know, that why do people have to fight to get what the children deserve? Um, but also we must yeah. make sure that our teachers and those running schools have the knowledge as well around SEN. Um, it mm. has to come from the top down. Yeah. You know, from the, the from the the person in charge to the lollipop lady, 
Do you have lollipop mm-hmm. ladies? In the we hospital? do. Yes, we do. No, I had a lollipop <laughs> lady once come on some training, um, and uh, and I said, "You're the first lollipop lady that's been on training." She said, "But I'm the first person those children see in the morning that's related." Well, exactly. To yeah. And I thought, "Oh my goodness, this is amazing." She yeah. needs to know how to support children as much as the head needs to know how to support our Definitely. children. Definitely. Not just this kind of small group of people that are really interested. You know? No, you're absolutely right. I love I've that. I've rambled on. I've rambled no. on. This is what no, I do. No, not at all. I love this so much. <laughs> Well, in that kind of vein, then just to extend you very slightly, because we did kind of cover that question. If you were in charge for the day, if they put Sarah Bell in charge as Minister for Education tomorrow, what is the first thing you'd change? What's the first policy you'd bring in? Oh, I'd bring in I'd bring in more funding for SEN. I mean, that you know, that's a that that's a known brainer. So we yeah. can be properly resourced. So schools can have more units attached to their schools or you know classrooms within their schools where you know children with special needs can be spend some time some time in the mainstream you know Mm. there's this myth that everybody that is that's you know that has a special educational needs needs special education you know they don't they can um, have a good schooling in a mainstream school if people know what they're doing and it's properly resourced and um, and I think that's where we, you know, that's where we um, fall down, really. So it's all about the money. From the very first <laughs> question all the way up, it's all been about the money, I think. <laughs> underfunded, under-resourced. under-recognised. Absolutely. And actually, what, yeah, under, under-resourced and under-funded means that our children go... Un, can be unrecognised when they can have some amazing talents around them. Oh, I could talk to Sarah all day. Insert clapping hands emojis here. Isn't she wonderful? Go and check out her website, autismact.com and go and follow her on Instagram at autism underscore act. She does some wonderful things there um, and let her know what you think as well. I know she'd be dying to hear from all of you. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I have got so many great educators coming up in this season. I'm so excited to share them with you. But if you know anyone who you think deserves their own episode, give them a shout out on the Instagram. Come and send me a message. I'm always happy to hear from anyone who wants to tell me what they think of the pod, as long as it's nice. Don't be mean. Um, And I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another amazing teacher. Have a great week, guys. See you then. Bye.